either to kind of automatize what we already know or kind of know, or actually just really kind of like take baby steps in, in, in new language, in producing, in understanding new language. And the main thing is a task, um, it has some authenticity to it. It has a connection with some real world needs, what students, what language learners actually want to do with language. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Hoon Van Korp joins us to talk about task-based language teaching. Hello, hello, Speaking of Language listeners, and welcome to a new episode. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. Today, we are delighted to speak with Dr. Kuhn Van Horp. Dr. Van Horp recently gave a talk as part of our monthly LRC speaker series on task-based language teaching, and we will continue to bust myths about TBLT today. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Kuhn. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you are an expert in the field of task-based language teaching. Please share with our listeners a little bit more about your background and your path with languages. Okay. Um, oh, it started a long, long time ago. <laughs> say like when the animals still spoke, but not that long. <laughs> uh, sometime, uh, actually, it all started with an unexpected choice of doing my MA thesis and kind of like developing language lessons for uh, primary school kids that were Dutch language learners. So that was a project that my professor had and I kind of like stepped into that and that kind of like paved the way for me to start my first real job. No, I had a kind of like a very short time teaching Dutch and teaching English in high Mm -hmm. school. And then I started working at the Center for Language and Education at the University of Leuven, the KU Leuven. And mainly that was a kind of a national language resource center, kind of like um, erected by the, by the um, Minister of Education mm-hmm. to help schools with their Dutch language learners. So kind of like, okay, go into schools, help teachers in primary school, secondary school, adult education that don't know how to actually teach Dutch as a second language. And okay. at that time, it was a very, very new subject. And so I started working at the center and actually we first adopted a kind of like very strong communicative approach with a focus on vocabulary because we felt these students missed a lot of academic vocabulary. Hmm. And then my colleague, Chris Vanden Brandon, who was doing his PhD dissertation at the time, came across Mike Long's readings, uh, sorry, writings about second language uh, learning and yeah. language teaching. And he presented that. To the, to the rest of the center, mainly five people at that time. And so we were all immediately very enthusiastic and we felt like this is it. So we mm-hmm. need to kind of like, this is our concept. Mm-hmm. This is the way we are going to present this to teachers on how to improve not only the language proficiency of Dutch language learners, but basically of every student that struggles with language and mm-hmm. language learning. And so we started developing curricula uh, mainly, I was involved in the work for primary schools. I, mm-hmm. I worked with, I developed curricula. I was involved in teacher training. Then I kind of like developed curricula for the content-based language uh, instruction, 
I did my PhD on that. And so I was like 25 years um, involved in the center, working with schools, with teachers, developing yeah. curricula and doing research. Before a big event, I came to the U.S. I started uh, working at Michigan State <laughs> University, let's say because of personal reasons. Uh, <laughs> I started at the Center for Language Teaching Advancement, and there I kind of was able to um, use all everything that I knew also kind of like, especially in a big project that we have, a big grant is the Lictal Partnership, less commonly taught languages partnership. And we started working with instructors from different languages, Swahili, Hindi, Hebrew, Portuguese, developing uh, course materials for university students, helping them to get to the more advanced levels of proficiency. Mm -hmm. So we injected some task-based language teaching in there, in that project as well. And nowadays, I try to do the same within the NLRC, which is the National Resource Center for Less Commonly Taught Languages, and in my work as a teacher training within um, the Applied Linguistics Program here at MSU. The title of your talk was Real World Tasks in the Classroom, Myth or Reality. So let's start out by defining what a task is in language teaching. That's a really good question. It's actually the easiest thing and the most difficult thing about tasks. <laughs> it's like, um, and I always go back to that seminal paper by Mike Long, um, which in which he said, actually, a task is almost all the things that people do uh, in daily life, while they work, while they play, um, and in between. So, and these are the things that people do that they will tell you when you ask them what they do and if they're not applied linguists or teachers. So it's basically anything from painting the room till brushing your teeth. But those are, of course, mostly non-language related events, mm. but also everything that you do with language, talking about the weather, uh, kind of like filling out your taxes, as we all did just recently, mm. or perhaps are still in the progress of the process of it. <laughs> um, um, so they are all minor and major things. Um, so I gave the, I gave the example uh, kind of like my, on my travel day to Cornell, I listened to Google Maps to find the, the shortest route to the airport. So I was listening. Actually, I then at that point was texting Angelica, hey, I actually made it. The plane is leaving. So mm -hmm. I was texting. On the plane, I was re reading through my PowerPoint and through some notes. And then I was doing some kind of like I was facing some very difficult interview questions. So I was taking some notes. <laughs> so basically, in that just like short afternoon, I was involved in some meaningful listening meaningful speaking, reading and writing. And I think these are all the kind of tasks that we talk about. And so uh, when we want to kind of like narrow it down a little bit more, it is about meaningful, doing meaningful, meaningful things with language, with that focus on we are creating meaning that are relevant to us because we feel we need them, because we need them in daily life. So they're real target-like tasks uh, that motivate us um, and where there's this kind of like linguistic challenge. So we, there's an opportunity to learn either to kind of automatize what we already know or kind of know, or actually just really kind of like take baby steps in, in, mm -hmm. in new language in producing in understanding new language. And the main thing is a task. Um, it has some authenticity to it. It mm -hmm. has a connection with some real world needs, what students 
what language learners actually want to do with language. Can you differentiate for us the difference between a task and an exercise? Yeah, um, I think sometimes it's a little bit tricky because it is, of course, a kind of continuum. But I think the main difference is the focus on an exercise is on language, on practicing language, on kind of like, hey, we're now going to practice the past tense or the perfect tense or the progressive, or we're going to practice or we're going to practice your modals. What's the difference between must and have to? And a task has not an explicit focus on language. Language is the means to get the task done, but we're not saying you, hey, it's best to use the present progressive here now. Just please use the present progressive while talking about X. We just leave it up to the students, to the language learners, to make create meaning and to get the task done, which mainly uh, sh should be a kind of non-linguistic objective, a non-linguistic goal. Yeah, so it's not about rote practicing and repetition and drills, right? So that's the whole point where the, the real world yeah. component comes in. The most important difference is whereas a traditional present, produce and practice mm -hmm. uh, methodology is built from a linguistic syllabus. It's now we have identified the words, we have identified the linguistic structures or whatever kind of structures that we want to kind of present to you and then practice and then produce. It is, it's built from tasks. It is, these are the tasks that we want you to be able to do. Mm -hmm. And we are building a curriculum through tasks so that you are able to do that, those tasks in the new life. Mm -hmm. Great. What does task-based language teaching look like at different proficiency levels? How can language educators integrate tasks at beginning levels, for example? That's a good question because often people feel like task-based language teaching is a better fit for uh, higher proficiency students mm -hmm. because it's a lot of the examples we find is about speaking or potentially writing, but kind of like engaging in this elaborate uh, conversation, which they feel beginners are not. Uh, ready for. Um, I think one of the interesting um, differences that especially Rod Ellis has highlighted is there are a lot of input tasks. There are input tasks and there are output tasks. Yeah. And especially input tasks or easy output tasks are very wonderful kind of tasks for beginners. And so an input task is you are listening. You are listening to something, an instruction. It could be how to create the best muffin in the world and <laughs> watching the video. And a worthy kind of, task. Okay, you've got your <laughs> simple list with ingredients and you hear, and you can see their wonderful cook uh, creating the muffins. So just go ahead and, and get those muffins in the oven and see that they hopefully are uh, edible. Um, <laughs> it could be just folding a paper plane in paper, just like and see how it flies through the air and whether who made the best paper plane. Um, at some point at the Center for Language and Education, we, we created a video of a magic trick. It was kind of like the disappearing cap of the pen. Mm. And so we just asked, and it was in Italian because, you know, we wanted to kind of clearly illustrate how uh, a foreign language could be introduced. And you can watch the video and you can watch it twice. And you can watch it three times if you want to try to figure out what's going on and mm. how did the magician uh, get helped disappear the, the, the cap. Um, and then you can talk about it. 
you can talk about it uh, and try to figure it out with your fellow students. So that's already moving an input task into yeah. a, a production task. Um, and even a, a simple output task is a very simple schedule of the week and kind of trying to figure out what's the best time for two students to meet. So those are actually real beginner's tasks. You have a lot of multimodal tasks like with pictures, with just a few words on it or just some simple sentences on it that they need to process. And then, and I think that is one of Alice's criteria, is activating all those language resources that a student or a language learner has at their disposal. Trying to get a message across. How simple, how simple it is, or and I would add sometimes even in whatever language mm, <laughs> they get mm-hmm. the meaning across. Sure. Um, so those I think are some good, nice examples. And then often at a higher level, we get these kind of like high-profiled role plays. For example, like they put you in, in a certain role, your judges that need to kind of like look at a certain case and make a decision, or your members of an HR department department um, and you're hiring a new employee and you've got these uh, resumes here and you've got the the job description over there and kind of now negotiate who would be the best candidate for the job that would be already at the at least high intermediate perhaps even just the advanced level of using the language so can i ask a question about that particular example um Mm -hmm. Would you consider that a real-world task for language learners? Certainly, it is a real-world task, but if students will never work in an HR department, yeah. would that be a beneficial that task? Is a really, um, well, it would be the most beneficial, indeed, in a kind of like um, a course for uh, specific purposes. English for specific purposes right. or French for specific purposes, that would be a really strong example of a target task, something that they need to do with language. Um, the judge task is, for example, something that has been applied more in regular education. Mm-hmm. And you could argue there that it is not, um, and there is even some term for that, not situationally authentic. Mm-hmm. It would be interactionally authentic in the sense that you would ask students to kind of like look at a certain case and kind of like negotiate that case and and reach a decision, but it would be at a lower run of the ladder Mm -hmm. with respect to uh, real life authenticity. And I think, to be honest, it's probably not always feasible to get every task in a, especially if you have, sure, uh, you know, Um, a curriculum that goes across semesters and that are taught uh, multiple hours a week Mm -hmm. to get all of them uh, give that real task real world task feel to it sure Um, but sometimes it is then the idea of finding tasks that do relate strongly enough that do feel that students are engaging in something meaningful and something Mm -hmm. relevant Mm -hmm. and especially speaks to them is motivating. Mm. Um, So I think in primary school, we we worked a lot with, and and again, you can question that, with a kind of suspension of disbelief. Mm. Uh, We kind of like with storytelling, like with, we had a whole unit that that was focused on a certain person has disappeared from our house. Mm. And we kind of enlisted the whole classroom, which were sixth graders, (laughs) to become detectives and figure out. 
and there is of course it's it's no real real world tasks that they are engaging in sure. but it belongs to their world that they can recognize they all love to be detectives they all love to read uh, detective stories so it speaks to them and we then engage in kind of tasks that we could relate to the tasks that were mentioned in the standards for primary schools mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so Every context has to figure it out for themselves a little bit. What are really good tasks that meet the needs of my audience? And sometimes these needs are just the standards. Mm-hmm. Because not everybody has that voice to express what their needs are. Children often across the world in, in primary of education course, yeah. are, are expected to follow a certain curriculum or certain yeah, standards. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Certain standards. But we feel like creating, and even with adults, this imaginary world sometimes speaks to them really strongly and mm-hmm. it gets them engaged and motivated. Yeah. Well, and it's easier to assume a different identity, right? Yes. I think in the in the language learning process um, in particular, it's, it's easier it's to pretend to be someone else and yeah, practice and maybe yeah. that allows more room for error too. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So you also talked about integrated tasks and the integration principle. Can you please recap that for our listeners? Sure. So the two different things a little bit. Like integrated tasks is kind of like I gave you the example of my travel to Cornell. And I think part of that is it kind of like opens the door and shows you how in everyday life we basically integrate all the skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, so listening leads to speaking, speaking leads to reading, reading leads to writing. So all of them are, to some extent, are not separated by artificial boundaries, yeah. which we sometimes have in, in the textbook where we do a listening activity, we answer some questions, and then we move to another activity. Mm-hmm. And so integrated tasks tries to kind of like build on that momentum and say, one step in a task might be listening that leads to kind of like speaking or writing. And then we kind of figure out that we need some more information. We might turn to reading. So it's a good idea of kind of like exploring um, how we can integrate all four skills in a meaningful target task. So um, for example, um, one of the target tasks that comes to mind is an example of my colleague, Chris Van den Branden, which he actually observed in a non-classroom uh, uh, program, a uh, non-language program, um, where they were kind of like the, the students were probed to think about what's the library of the future. So think mm-hmm. about what the library of the, let's say, the 22nd century looks like. Yeah. And so come up with a good plan, come up with a good proposal. And so what these students did is kind of like, okay, they went on the internet looking for, okay, what is a library? What do library look, libraries look like nowadays? How can we imagine a library of the future? They started talking to actually to architects to kind of like, what should a library be all about? They started reading about libraries and they started writing short notes and, 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 and created a discussion platform and started to exchange ideas until they came to their final proposal, which was written, but also like with a video. So kind mm-hmm. of like multimodal. Mm-hmm. So here we see how every, all of the language and other resources that we have, all of the meaning re- making resources kind of come together in 
what is now a very large task, sure. but you could think about that in smaller tasks as well, kind of like, okay, um, we have to write a letter um, to the headmaster of the school because we're going to complain about something. Mm-hmm. So let's at least read a kind of like a comparable letter so that we know how not to kind of offend the headmaster <laughs> with our language and, and kind of like make our point in a very uh, pointy way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. What is the role of grammar in task-based language teaching? Mm-hmm. Uh, a good point, again, because often people assume that grammar has no role to play. And, and that's wrong. So grammar is not the building block from the, for the curriculum, but it is important. And it depends a little bit on who you're teaching. Um, because um, it depends on uh, the older you are, often the better you're able to cope with explicit instruction, so with explicit grammar rules. The more educated you are, the more apt you are to kind of like look, go and look at the dictionary and go and look at a grammar book and kind of like use these uh, rules to kind of like decipher the basic structures of, of a language. Yeah. Uh, so it depends a little bit on who your audience is, how well can they process explicit information. Um, the basic idea uh, underlying long, strong proposal of task-based language teaching was we give students these tasks, they will probably struggle with language. Mm-hmm. Whenever as an instructor you notice, oh, you're struggling with creating plurals or you're struggling with a certain tense, I can step in and I can briefly explain to you what the rule behind that is. Mm-hmm. Or I can give you another kind of activity, kind of trying to help you find out for yourself what the rule looks like, an inductive or a deductive approach. And so Long's idea was grammar, or what he called focus on the form, should be reactive to the learner's needs. Because they all have different needs. We as teachers cannot assume that we know exactly where, sure. our, where each learner is. So we want to kind of leave it open but nevertheless step in when it's needed. So we don't let the students kind of like hang on the rope or on themselves mm-hmm. and struggling and trying to figure it out. We are expert uh, people that know what grammar rules looks like so we can help them out. Um, the, other, the other idea is actually that it doesn't always have to be reactive. There are always mm-hmm. means of bringing in grammar but and that's where the integration principle by the way comes in is let's try to do it as closely to creating meaning where the, to the moment where students are creating meaning as possible so again this idea of the students are doing a task um to go back to my old love primary education um so for example to help students uh, f- um, form a, co- a comparative and a superlative um, for example, um, she does it better than than X or he's the best. Um, we kind of like designed a, a witch contest, kind of we, who is the ugliest witch. Uh, <laughs> and we provided some the students with a set of witches, uh, some very nice pictures. And so we kind of got them involved in, okay, now you have to decide. You're the jury. You see that there is it is again, the jury. Mm-hmm. And you kind of like decide on which is the witchiest witch of them all that gets the gold <laughs> medal and the silver medal and the bronze medal. And so this is creating a context where they, it almost naturally, naturally elicits those comparatives and those superlatives. Mm-hmm. And when you, then you see students struggle, you can kind of provide them with the rule. 
or at some point after they have made their first selection, you can say, look, I noticed that some of you struggle with how to kind of like present your witch uh, so that we can uh, present her with the award. So let's kind of like revisit that and then give them another opportunity to kind of like uh, present uh, who they chose as the richest witch of them all. <laughs> you and, know, I, I think we need to go back more to our elementary roots because don't you think college students would like that identifying, you know, the craziest witch and also being detectives and figuring out where something lost has gone. Absolutely. I always <laughs> give these examples to my students and they are engaged. I yeah, I bet. Yep. Yeah. So speaking of students, what kind of feedback have you heard from students about this approach using TBLT? And also maybe what, what feedback have you heard from teachers? Yeah. Um, I think students overall, um, what always impressed me from the start is students tend to love it. They mm. are very, very motivated. They are very, very engaged. Of course, sometimes there's just this novelty effect of it instead of doing these very mm. boring exercises yeah. with grammar and vocab and asking and answering these tens of millions of comprehension questions. Yeah. Uh, they just actually get to do something. They get to create something, make something, uh, present on something, uh, work together in solving problems, in reaching a discussion, reaching a conclusion. So they are motivated. And I feel like that's, there's always this kind of spillover effect to the teacher. The, the teachers actually notice that their students are more motivated. Mm. And so they get, and they get more enthusiastic about it as well. Um, they struggle, though. Teachers overall, they struggle. Um, no, let me go one step back to the, the students. So, um, because like recently, just in, in, in kind of like piloting one of the more modules for Portuguese uh, with students that are at a more high intermediate advanced level, mm -hmm. um, they actually told us again that they loved the fact that they were doing things, that they actually once said, we are doing culture, we're not learning mm -hmm. about culture. Uh, this was a module about exploring the five different regions in Brazil and looking into their cooking, into the songs and music and everything. And so they felt like it also connects to real life. Yeah. And it helps us to connect to, hey, do you like that music? Or, hey, cooking that particular dish, that was quite, of an, that was quite an experience. So it created and made some real connections, not just between the students, but with students and the actual users of the language, the native speakers or the people in Brazil and with the culture. So that was also very important. Um, they learned more about the world as well yeah. because Oscar's language teaching. And the teachers, they love it on the one hand and they struggle with it enormously on the other hand because we are all creatures of habit. We are sure. all kind of like, we are all most of us still taught in a different way. Uh -huh. Taught through vocab, through grammar. Teachers are successful language learners, most of them anyway. Yep. And, and so they actually felt like, I learned a language. You should be able to learn the language uh -huh. as well. Uh, one of my teacher trainers, actually at the beginning of my teacher training uh, trajectory, told us that he was very skeptical about, about what he was going to be able to do with us because he felt you had 18 years of education <laughs> And that has made a larger uh, impact uh, and a bigger stamp than what I'm to do, able to do in these two years. Yeah, yeah. That's not very encouraging. So I hope as <laughs> we are able to do a little bit more than that. But 
I noticed that as well with a lot of my teachers that I train, which are um, teachers of English as a second or another language, and they often have teaching experience. Mm -hmm. They love task-based language teaching, but when we connect and reconnect later on, none of them adopted it to its Mm -hmm. full extent. Interesting. They felt like, okay, we can introduce tasks and it's nice to do, but... I still feel more comfortable and more in control if I can teach some grammar and some vocab. Mm -hmm. And often, depending on who their students are, they often also feel more in control and that they are feel that they are actually learning a language. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there is this big clash between what people feel and think that language teaching should be and sometimes what we feel based on research and actual experience, what might be the most, the best, the better way, or at least, yes, to some extent, the more uh, effective way of mm-hmm. teaching. So then, where can our colleagues start if they want to integrate more tasks into their curriculum? Um, at the beginning, I think. Um, and that's kind of like, listening to the students perhaps i feel mm-hmm. like often kind of like we haven't talked about it but not task-based language teaching always starts with the needs analysis like why are your students why do they want to learn the language why do they need to learn a language and then if we have analyzed what their needs are we can come up with a set of target tasks i think every teacher is able to do that to some extent in their classroom Definitely, just yeah. opening that conversation what do you want to do with German? What do you want to do with Portuguese? What do you want to do with Quechua? Why are you learning that language? How can I help you to kind of like reach these goals? Mm-hmm. And it might be just with a simple Qualtrics survey, kind of like trying to gauge some of those target tasks if they are able to kind of like put them into words and then actually say to your students, hey, we're going to do some of these. We're going to kind of like create some tasks that actually relate to your goals, and we're going to inject them in the curriculum, perhaps here and there, mm-hmm. once in a while, on a kind of like a blue Monday or a blue Friday. <laughs> uh, and that might be a really good starting point. Um, and yes, I would just say invite teachers, come up with a task. And then I would also invite teachers, don't do it all by yourself. Just reach mm. out to other colleagues or even with your students, think about tasks, but get some feedback get some feedback, um, and then apply the task. And then next year again, try it again. It will turn out differently. Uh, That's the beauty, and that's probably the annoying thing for teachers, is if you use the same tasks twice uh, with a different group of students, it will turn out differently. So it's a beauty, but as a teacher, you feel like, "Did did I work on the same objectives? Did I reach the same goals? Probably not, but actually that's all... I would argue almost the case. Yeah. Well, and as you said, right, it's so situationally dependent and students, every time you teach a a different cohort of students, they are, they have different interests, they have different needs. So I think that's a, yeah, that's a a fair point that nothing will ever be the same. Yeah. And look at it as a multi-year project. Mm -hmm. Don't want to kind of like do it all in one year and then get disappointed because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hard work. That's the other thing with teachers. It is hard work. And also that's the kind of like the thing. 
to be honest, teachers kind of point out to the fact that task-based language teaching takes more time in the classroom. Sure. And I recognize that. It does yeah. take more time. So look at it as a multi-year project, creating some tasks in year one, transferring them to year two, developing some more in year two, and then kind of like create your own set of tasks that build over the, over the, mm-hmm. over the years. Yeah. Yeah, those are great suggestions. Kuhn, where can our listeners learn more about you and the work that you do? Okay. Um, I said, I would say just Google me. <laughs> I have a website. <laughs> there you go. That works. <laughs> so there's, there's a website, vangorpk at .msu.edu. But I think, uh, oh no, sorry, vangorp.msu.domains, apparently. I uh, just looked at it. Uh, but you can Google me and then you can find more about me, I guess. You can add language behind my name. There are not that many Kuhn van Gors, but the other one, I think, is interested more in the stars, which is also wonderful. Uh, hmm. But they might not help language teachers much. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will also include a link to your webpage in our show notes, just okay. for ed- anyone who who wants to skip the Googling step. But there you have it. Um, Kuhn, this has been a wonderful chat. But before we sign off, We'd like to ask you to share a word in a language you speak, love, are learning, want to learn, that makes you laugh. What's uh, that word? Huh, I find this a very difficult. Uh, actually, that's strange, perhaps. But I find it. You're, no, you're not alone in that. <laughs> and actually, I was thinking about it. And um, so I was always, I'm not sure laughing. I'm going to give you two, if I can. Of and course. one is a non-existing language, but always stuck with me, as it might be the child in me, is the Mary Poppins one. Mm. Ah. Uh, oh my God, what, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious? Yes. Even though okay, the sound of it. Okay, okay. Kuhn, you will break the internet, because <laughs> we add those with hashtags, and I think that might be more than 240 characters for Twitter right. alone. Okay, so leave that one out. <laughs> and then the other one, and I think this is just recent, is like, so I have... Uh, two very young sons, like uh, almost eight months and almost get hitting the, the, actually today, two years and nine months. And, and he, um, so we're Belgians. My wife and I are originally are Belgians. And if you know, and if you know Belgian, Belgium has some wonderful food and, and the major highlights are probably beer, fries and chocolate. And so my, my oldest son is also nowadays a lot into chocolate. Um, and the Dutch word for chocolate is chocolade, chocolade, and he cannot pronounce it. He says chocolade, and it does crack me up every time. (laughs) How he says, can I have a little bit of chocolade? (laughs) That sounds very, uh, like, romance language inspired. I know, I know. I like it, I like it. Awesome. Kun, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for speaking of language with us today. Yes, thank you for having me and kind of like, okay, well, hopefully it's useful for some of your uh, listeners. Absolutely. I would just say, yes, explore task-based language teaching. Go for it. You can't go wrong. There you have it, people. You go wrong. What the hell? You try again. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Join us next week to hear all about literacies in language education when we speak with Kate Paisani and Mandy Menke. Until then... Auf Wiederhören. Bye. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu 
or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners, and do stay tuned for our next episode. How do you say that Mary Poppins word in Dutch? I don't think we have it in Dutch. I feel like I to it. Oh, you must have a Dutch version of Mary Poppins. Yeah, I probably have, but I've never, never... Well, because it has to rhyme, right? In German, it's supercalifragilisticexplialigetisch. Oh, mm-hmm. Well, that will be your task. Fascinating. I will. To figure out what that is in Dutch. I will also okay. be Googling this. Yeah. And, and remember, if you say it loud enough, you always sound precocious. That's, uh... <laughs> I like it.